Welcome to the podcast. Glad you're joining me today. I hope you had a good week. I want to get straight into today's topic. I entitled this podcast, Why You Can Trust the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29, whoever hears my word and does not do them, do it, will be likened unto a fool who built his house upon the sand. He didn't have a firm foundation. The rain descended, the winds blew, the waves beat against the house, and great was its fall. But whoever hears my words and does it, he will be likened unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock, referring to the word of God, who when the rain descended, the winds blew, and the waves beat against the house, it did not fall but it was because it was founded on the rock. So if we're going to build our entire life on this book called the Bible, we have to be sure and confident and certain that we can indeed call this the word of God. You have to be convinced that this is the word of God, that this is not just a dogma, a series of dogmatic statements or man's idea of who God is. This is not man trying to reach out to God. This book is God reaching out to men. It is by divine inspiration. The reason why I'm doing this podcast, uh, primarily, I was inspired when I read a post from a church, and I use that word very loosely in this, in this case, a church in Nashville that wrote this on Facebook, their own uh, church's Facebook page. Uh, Facebook page, this is what they wrote. As progressive Christians, we're open to the tensions and inconsistencies in the Bible. I'm going to stop right there and address the fact that they call themselves progressive Christians. What are we progressing from? The very fact you're calling yourself a progressive Christian is that what Christianity has been needs improvement. What Christianity has been what the book of Acts um, paints a picture of, that's actually not the fullness of of what God desires his church to function as, that there needs to be some improvement. That is heresy. God's word does not need to be improved on. God's word does not need to be added to. God's word does not need to be refined as these quote-unquote progressive Christians seek to do. And then you look at what happens, you know, they're actually fulfilling Paul's prophecy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, where he said, in the last days, there will be many that depart from the faith, from the words of faith, from the doctrine of the Bible. The scripture is the supreme source of Christian doctrine and theology. The scripture is the supreme source of Christian theology. What's theology? People love to use that word. They don't even know what it means. Theology is theos and logos. It is theos, the word for God in the Greek, and logos, which is the word uh, for study of in the Greek. So you put those two together and you have the theology, theos, logos, the study of God. So the Bible is not our perspective of who God is. It is not our, our, our idea of God. It is divinely breathe second timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 all scripture not some scripture not most scripture not a great portion of scripture not there are portions of scripture that you can classify as god breathe all scripture is god inspired god breathed and is profitable for teaching for exhortation 
to lead us, to guide us, for training in righteousness, to equip us for the work of ministry, so that we can be men and women of God equipped thoroughly unto every good work. So these people are saying that we're progressive Christians. We've actually, they, they look at the Bible as an outdated text. No longer relevant, because listen to these next words. We know that it, referring to the Bible, cannot live up to the impossible modern standards. We strive to more clearly articulate what Scripture is and what Scripture is not. And they go on to say, the Bible is not the Word of God. The Bible is, self is not self-interpreting, they say. The Bible is not a science book. The Bible is not an answer or rule book. Now, I can agree with that the Bible is not a science book in the sense that it was not written with the idea that this is we're trying to go out and set out to prove scientific truths. The Bible is a book that God moved on 40-plus different authors who were inspired of the Holy Ghost to write in order to point people to God. The Bible is our compass to God. It is what points us to God, is what brings us to salvation. It is what diagnoses the prom problem of man. You know, there's no other religious book. There's no other philosophical book. There is no other, there's no textbook. There is no worldview that so clearly articulates and brings out the intensity of the depravity of man, the need of a savior, and the revelation of that savior in Jesus Christ and the restoration of all things and the redemption of all things through the sacrificial, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. So we have to understand that these people are uh, that these people are saying the Bible is is not the word of God. It's not inerrant. It's not infallible. That we can't trust everything in it. Well, if we can't trust everything in it, then how can we trust that Jesus rose from the dead? If we can't trust everything in it, if it's a pick and choose your favorite five verses, how can we be certain of which which parts are infallible, which parts are divini divinely inspired, and which parts of the Bible are not divinely inspired and that they're prone to error? So they're sowing seeds of uncertainty into men. And remember, the devil has used this tactic since the origin of man since creation when man was in the garden of eden and god gave him a word an instruction and said you can eat of every tree and every fruit of every tree and every green herb is available for you to eat except the one that i'm going to put in the middle and that's the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the day that you surely that you eat of it you shall surely die you will perish what did the devil do by speaking through a snake remember a snake has a double tongue the devil has a double tongue. He speaks two things. He's a liar. He is the, a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. And when he speaks, he speaks of his own nature. He is the father of lies. He does not stand in truth. Neither is, is there any truth in him. He doesn't have the ability to speak truth. So these people, this church, literally telling you that the Bible doesn't have the ability to speak infallible truth are replicating what the devil did in the Garden of Eden, when he approached Adam and Eve, and he said, did God really say? He got them to, to discredit the inerrancy of the command that God had given them. He got them to question the authenticity of the word of God, and that's what launched them. It propelled them into error. And remember, when you have false doctrine, it gives birth to, uh, it gives birth to, to, to sin. False doctrine. That's why people, 
need to be taught proper Bible doctrine because it's by doctrine. It's what you believe. That's what's going to influence your behavior. So if you don't believe right, you ain't going to think right. And if you don't think right, you ain't going to act right. And if you don't act right, you're going to reap the consequences of your actions. So why can we trust the Bible? I want to read first and foremost from Hebrews chapter one and verse one. The Bible says the following words, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. So how did God speak? God spoke in times past through the prophets. We can read the words of the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel. God spoke through the mouth of his prophets, which the words were transcribed, put into books, so that they can maintain uh, steadfastness through the ages. That's the wonders of the written word. If someone had just spoke it, and then it was, you know, you, you ever play that game as a kid, uh, telephone, where you put your ear and uh, someone tells you something, and then you tell the next person, then that person tells the following person, then you have to, the last person has to say what he's heard, and then compare it to what the first person heard, and it's oftentimes totally different, totally contradictory. It doesn't even make sense by the time it gets to the end of the line. So if we had just had an, an audible uh, transmission of these things, a vocal transmission of these things, things could have been lost in translation. Things could have been lost in, uh, in, in time. However, these things were penned down. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, and my apologies if you heard my child in the background. He's in the other room. But... Uh, he just wanted to say hi. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, the Bible says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when he made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father. So the New Testament wasn't written by people who heard about Jesus. These guys were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we, he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Listen to verse 20, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 and verse 21. Knowing this first, so this is of primary importance, Peter is saying. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Or it did not come from man. This wasn't man's inspiration. This wasn't man coming up with an idea. This wasn't man meditating on who God was. And then he just started to pen some thoughts down. It did not come from private origin or private interpretation. Verse 21, prophecy never came by the will of men. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved on them. That's why 2 Tim Timothy 3, 15 and 16 says, Timothy, you have the Holy Scriptures in your heart, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, for all Scripture is God-breathed. That word is um, ruach. It means the breath of God. Just like when you speak, breath is emitted into the atmosphere. When God spoke, that breath got into man and it inspired man by the Holy Spirit to pen down as God moved on them. The, the, the words inspired of the Holy Spirit that would point man 
to God, point man to salvation, point man to proper relationship with God. And so you understand that the, these, these are not humanly developed thoughts. The Bible says if you receive the word as the word of man, it will profit you nothing. That's why I started off by telling you Matthew 7, quoting Matthew 7. Because Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine and don't do them, most likely you're somebody. Because if you had absolute confidence that this was the word of God, then what would you do? You would hear the words and you would apply it. You wouldn't have any question. People would, would, would hear the words and they would not doubt its origins. And as such, they would be quick to implement its practice in their own practical living. But the reason why they hear the word and do not do it, they don't do it, is because they think it's just the word of man. That this is just a religious book amongst religious books. Let me tell you, Mohammed said, I have come and I think I found the way to God. Buddha said, I think I found the way to peace. Confucius thought he had developed some, some way to, uh, to better living. Jesus is the only one that came and said, I am the way. And John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. Jesus was not born when Mary conceived him. Jesus has always been. He was, he is, he is to come. He is the God of heaven and earth who changes not. He had his origins. He was present at creation. Because the Bible says, by the word of God, the heavens were made. All things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So Jesus, the word of God, came and said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am not a way amongst ways. I am not a path that you can take. We're not Oprah Winfrey saying that there's many ways to contact God. You just got to pick and choose your favorite one. No, there is one way. And call me old-fashioned. Call me a regressive Christian. Call me an old-fashioned uh, doom and gloom preacher. I don't care what you call me. The fact remains is I'd rather tell you ahead of time that the Bible is the inspired word of God and all the precepts concerning all things written out in this book I consider to be right and I know is right. And as such, I'd rather warn people of sin, warn people of the impending judgment, warn people that if they don't repent, there is a hell that was not prepared for them. It was prepared for the devils and their angels uh, and his angels. But ultimately, if man rejects God, that is his final destination. I'd rather warn you and offend people. I'd rather get on your bad side here on earth than you stand on eternity's morning in line, ready to be judged by God. And you looked at me and you said, you never told me. You never, you never dived into those things of the Bible. You kept to the cute, nice little um, flowers and daisy messages, but you didn't dive in to the fullness of the scriptures. The reason why I can preach on hell and I preach on it with tears in my eyes is because I believe that this book is not blowing smoke. This book, not only did I believe on it and, and um, not only did I believe on it and receive peace in my heart, this thing changed my life. This thing doesn't, it's not a crutch to get me through life. This thing changed my life. This book healed my body. Why can we believe? You know, I'll go into it right now. Number one, why can you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Look at the testimonies that it's produced worldwide. I have been 
totally impacted by this book, Spirit, Soul, and Body. If you've never heard my testimony, I had obsessive compulsive disorder. I had a mental condition, incurable by man. And it was in studying the scriptures in Isaiah 53, when it says he bore my sickness, carried my pains, and by his stripes, I am healed. The moment I saw that in the Bible, faith came alive in me and I felt electricity run through my my body. And I was made whole of that plague. I was made whole of that affliction. I, I haven't had any bout with OCD ever since because I believe. Remember, the Bible says, to as many as received the word, to them gave he power to become children of God. The word came into the world. Many rejected it for themselves, but to as many as received the word, I received the word for myself and it produced a supernatural work in me. And that in itself allows me to believe in the divinity of the scriptures. You can look at testimonies of men. There are billions of Christian Christians worldwide. I think 1.2 billion or something like that. 1.4 billion of Christians worldwide. And even if those are the ones, you know, 1.4 that nominally call themselves Christians but aren't living for God. If you want to, you know, have a conservative stat of those who are living for God, I believe there's about 800 million at least on planet Earth. 800 million people are ready to die for their faith. 800 million people whom have he not seen him, yet they love him and rejoice in joy inexpressible and full of glory. You look at the testimonies throughout history. You look at the influence of the Bible throughout history, the laws of nations being formed because of this book. The Judeo-Christian worldview that the Constitution of the United States modeled after attributes its success to, to the Bible, to the Scriptures. The very fact, I mean, you look at what Moses penned down, the Ten Commandments. Those laws now govern every nation of this earth without error. You look at the creation of art throughout history. Da Vinci's art. The statue of David. You look at the architecture that has been uh, inspired by this Bible. The literature, the plethora of books that have been written on the bible commentaries on the bible behind me i have a dake annotated bible and within it a man called finnis dake he spent over a hundred thousand hours throughout his lifetime comment uh, commenting writing a commentary on the bible he gave his entire life on earth to study this book and then you look at all the other books that uh that, that have been inspired by the Bible. All the books on the person of Jesus. All the books on the books of the Bible. You don't have any short, shortage of books. Then you look at the Bible itself being the number one bestseller. People to this day are being impacted. So for those progressive Christians who think that we need to improve on it, your improvements, look at the fruit of your improvements. It hasn't produced any Holy Ghost believers. It hasn't produced any, any, but any Christian with a backbone it hasn't produced any healings. People aren't getting saved. The modernization of Christianity is doing the opposite of what it intends to do. You don't have to improve on God. The Bible is full. It is complete. It is inspired. It is perfect. It is the word of God that is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has the ability today, 2021, to pierce to the division of spirit and soul, bone and marrow. It is still impacting lives. It is still drawing people to salvation. It is still, I mean, you look at it in China. There's a ministry called One Hope. They deliver millions of Bibles illegally into China. 
into China via like their various methods and stuff. God has given them a grace to print Bibles and get it into persecuted nations. And you look at a Chinese person that's in an underground church and the way he, that's why when we start to see that this book is in its origins divine, that this book is, is, uh, is not a common book. This book is forever settled in the heavens, the Bible says. The word of God is a lamp to our feet. The word of God cannot go out and return void. This, work, this word has a supernatural work that it produced when it is believed and received on. No other, I never read a colleague's textbook and started having a, 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 an encounter with God. I never read in humanities, a humanities textbook and all of a sudden I got healed in my body. I never read uh, another religious book and all of a sudden, my eyes were open and I felt peace like a river. No, that never happened. Why? Because those books are dogmatic. They are the words of men expressed on paper. This is the only book. Remember, the Bible is not us reaching God. That's not, that's not what the Bible is. It's not us trying to come up with a perspective of who God is. The Bible is God reaching down to men, moving on men. And it's God re God's revelation to men. A father has a desire to know his child. I want to know my child. I can't wait for him to start speaking so I can know him on a better level. But a father also has a desire to be known by his child. The Bible is that. It's God's, it's God's uh, move to reveal himself to humanity so that not only will we know God, uh, not only does God know us, sorry, the firm foundation stands having the seal. The Lord knows those who are is, but now, now we have a tool by which we can know and come to know God. Jesus knew his mission because of the scriptures. The Bible says he was handed the, the book of the prophet Isaiah and he opened it up and he found the place where it was written of him. So the Bible is an all-important book, not only for, for salvation, so you can make heaven, but for direction in life. So we have to be convinced convinced of its of its authenticity inerrancy and infallibility look at the influence that it has throughout history look at the social reforms that it has that it has uh, kick-started the emancipation proclamation owes its existence to the bible because in the great awakening man was awakened through a, rev a religious revival a revival in the church, opened up people in government, their eyes to the fact that all men are created equal and in the image of God. So they realized, black man, white man, it didn't matter what color you were on the outside, we all bleed red, and as such, we all are deserving of equal rights, equal freedoms, equal privileges, and not one should be valued above, above another. And then they signed the Emancipation Proclamation, and the, the, the slaves that were held in bondage were made free. That didn't happen. I mean, if you look at most, look at uh, what took people out of the dark ages. It was Martin Luther and the reformists studying the scriptures and finding it's that, that it's by grace through faith that we're saved, not a result of works. So what held the people in bondage in the middle ages, they were broken free from, why? Through a revelation of scripture. Every major societal reform you can trace back to an awakening, to a revival, and to, uh, to a revelation of Scripture. Number, number three, so number one, 
the uh, testimonies that the Bible still has around the world proves that you can trust the Bible. Number two, the influence of the scripture in, uh, in society throughout history, the influence it's had on artists and the influence it's had on laws and governing laws throughout nations. And number three, the indestructibility of the Bible. This one is probably one of my favorites after testimonies. This is my favorite argument for the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said, if it were possible to destroy the church or the Bible, it would have been destroyed long ago. Voltaire, the famous philosopher in France, said that within a hundred, he said this in the year 1700s, that in a hundred years, the Bible would no longer be a relevant, would no longer exist, forget relevant, would no longer exist, that its pages would be burnt and it would be an extinct document. That nobody would ever give credence to it. Again, within a hundred years. Well, Voltaire died. Voltaire is buried. And his home in France, this is the sense of humor God has. His home in France is now used as the Bible publishing, publishing house to dispatch. It's a hub to transport and dispatch Bibles around the globe. This guy set out and tried to prophesy that the Bible would no longer exist in a hundred years. Not only is it still existing, his very home, God transformed into a printing press for the Bible and a hub to get it into the hands of men worldwide. I mean, that is amazing. That shows you the sovereignty of God. The Bible says there are many who mock, many that gather against the anointed of the Lord. The Lord sits in heaven and he laughs, he mocks, he mocks back. He scoffs at them because he knows that their day is coming. The wicked, they try to spread their roots like a native tree. And they flourish for a little while. Voltaire had a little bit of influence for a little while. People actually probably bought on to that statement. But he was destroyed and cut off forever. But the word of God endures. The grass withers. The flowers fade. But the word of the Lord endures forever. You look at Rome. The emperor Diocletian. He issued out a royal edict that the Bible must be burnt by fire because he saw that Christians were loyal to the decrees of the scripture rather than the decrees of Caesar. And as a result, he took action to abolish the Bible and kill anyone that had one. Some Christians hid and the Bible and the word of God was preserved. So Diocletian finally came to the conclusion that he had eradicated the Bible. And as such, he engraved on a metal plaque the Christian religion is destroyed and the worship of the gods of Rome have been restored. Well, a few years later, Constantine was made emperor. Diocletian was dead. And Constantine ends up making Christianity and the Bible, the state and rule of law and the main religion throughout the Roman Empire. The Middle Ages, the priests tried to lock the, the, the religious church tried to lock the Bible that was translated only in the Latin, in Latin, by the Latin Vulgate, to the priest's pulpit. And only the priest could read it. And they did not teach Latin to the common folk. So they twisted and perverted the, the doctrine of the Bible and preached their own dogma ahead and above the scriptures that they knew themselves, but they set aside the word of God so that they could, they made void the word of God in keeping to their own traditions and they tried to manipulate and they tried to control the population by doing this. But even in that, the scripture, the authenticity, the, the uh, inerrancy, of the word was preserved through the Middle Ages, through the Dark Ages. So neither king nor monarch nor church traditionalist 
have ever succeeded in exterminating the Bible, the greater the effort to exterminate the scriptures, the greater its spread, the greater its truth circulated. Remember in Egypt, the Bible says another Pharaoh rose up that did not know the God of Jacob, uh, that did not know the God of Joseph. And as such, he tried to exterminate the Israelites. He tried to oppress and suppress them and crush them and perform a genocide. Ultimately, after they were done building whatever they wanted him to, they, they wanted, he wanted them to build. He, his plan was not to keep them around. But remember, the more they oppressed the Israelites, the more they grew. The more this Bible is uh people seek to to suppress its truths the more they seek the more kings the more governors the more people in authority try to suppress its truth you know even communism before it can set up communism in a nation before a dictator can set up an authoritarian regime in the nation it has to first rid in the nation of this book because this book sets people free this book is still opening up people's eyes to their value before god this book doesn't permit for an authoritarian regime to implement itself in a nation so a communism communism has to teach atheism before it can set itself up but look there was uh, nikita khrushchev in the russian Russian USSR that said, I have made it my point to bury the Bible. Nikita Khrushchev has been buried and the Bible prevails. Because the Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. My word shall go out. It will never return void. It'll always accomplish the thing for which it was sent to accomplish it is the incorruptible seed many have tried to corrupt it many have tried to set it aside many have tried to disrupt it and destroy it but the bible just like in the book of acts they tried to bring peter and john before the sanhedrin they instructed them never to teach or preach the doctrine of Jesus, the name of Jesus ever again. And they said, we would rather obey God rather than men. And the Bible says right after that, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. If it were possible for this book to be destroyed, it would have been destroyed already. Point number four, the fulfillment of prophecy attests to the validity of scriptures. The prophecies concerning Christ first coming which there are more than 300 prophecies in the old testament the law the the prophets and in the psalms concerning the first coming of jesus christ for all of them to be fulfilled to the t to the extent that they were fulfilled not one of them is left unfulfilled not one of them did jesus miss it's not like he was born near bethlehem and you know what we'll just we'll just group it in and say he was born in bethlehem no he was born in bethlehem i mean people that say well yes but jesus could have read the scriptures and he would have known what to do he can't decide where he was born he couldn't he can't decide where he grew up he couldn't have decided like the bible prophesies that he would go to egypt for a time he couldn't have come up with that that was divine providence that was uh, revealed to the Old Testament prophets as their eyes were open to the future. Remember, the Old Testament prophets operated by this gift of the word of wisdom, which is a supernatural unveiling of the wisdom of God, which has to do with foretelling events that would come to pass. Isaiah 53, Jesus could have done some things in his day that got him executed, but how could Isaiah prophesy that in the days the messiah will be executed it will be by crucifixion he prophesies that he his hands are pierced through 
By, uh, I was pierced through, the Bible says. He was pierced through for, his, for, for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement of our peace was laid on him and by his stripes we were healed. Those were not forms of execution, of torment, and of crucifixion. Crucifixion didn't happen until like the year 100 BC, 150 BC. That's when they started to have crucifixion as a form of execution. Isaiah says that 780 BC. The odds of Jesus fulfilling every single one of those prophecies to the T would be like you taking a golden coin, tossing it randomly, bringing it up in an airplane, dropping it out of the airplane, and then filling the whole of Texas, the state of Texas, four feet high with quarters and pennies and dimes, and then telling someone to dive in and find that golden coin. That's the probability of Jesus, uh, the probability Jesus had in fulfilling them all, and yet he did it all to the T. From the point he was, from the place he was born, him going to Egypt, to the massive outcry, that would happen when Herod would try and find Jesus when he was under two years old and crucify and kill him before his time. The Bible says a great lamentation was made. Rachel wept for her children. That was, on the, that was in the Old Testament, which was fulfilled when Herod put out an order to kill every child, every born, uh, firstborn male that was under the age of two years old. Jesus couldn't, couldn't possibly have... <laughs> ordered it that way that was divine sovereignty then you look at other prophecies that were fulfilled israel's dispersion jesus prophesied in seven when he was on the earth that there would be a diaspora that the temple would be destroyed in the year 70 a.d it happened and the jews were dispersed in isaiah i mean in jeremiah 15 4 jeremiah prophesies of this that the people of israel would be scattered throughout the four corners of the earth hosea 3 4 same thing and then Jesus prophesies that there's going to be a day where the dispersion of the Jews, that they would, as no matter how far they've been scattered, that they'd return into the Holy Land. Well, that happened in the year 1948. That's something we witness, or we can at least go into recent history and see. My grandparents witnessed that. May 14, 1948, Israel is born again as a nation, born again, is born as a nation once again. And from that moment onward, there has been a magnetic pull from Jews worldwide to come back into the Holy Land. And even Benjamin Netanyahu, a couple of years ago, actually gave an incentive. I think it's called Aliyah, which gives Jews around the world, if you can prove your Jewish heritage, uh, no matter where you are, they, they have an incentive now. They'll, the state of Israel will pay their plane ticket. They'll pay like a first year salary, something like that. And there's a bunch of incentives that are that Jews in record numbers are returning to the Holy Land, which is prophetic fulfillment. And Jesus said, when you see that happen, my return is soon even at the door. As a side note, those are things that prove, you know, if Jesus was, uh, if the prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming were fulfilled to the T, we can know that his prophecy, the prophecies fulfilling the second coming are going to be fulfilled to the T. And they have been. There's not one prophecy that yet, has yet to be fulfilled. The rapture is a signless event. He can come at any time. You look at Daniel's prophecies in the book of Daniel. Uh, he foretells the coming kingdoms that would reign on the earth. Babylon would fall. And then the Grecian emperor, empire would rise up. And then after that, the Roman empire would rise up. And he, he actually talks about Alexander the Great, a great bear that would run through this world and, and, and have dominion in his day. But after he would die, cut off prematurely, cut off before his time, Alexander the Great, when he had finally secured world domination, he died like a year later or something like that. And I think he was like 32 years old. 
He wasn't old. And his sons, Ptolemus and I forget the other guy's name, end up splitting the kingdom and it was divided in two, which happened, uh, which Daniel prophesied that his kingdom would be split and two kingdoms would arise from it. And then from that, the Roman... There was such accuracy in that prophecy that there are people that study the Bible, there are theologians who doubt that that was written in the year 500 BC because it's too accurate. It's too close, not too close, it's too exact, like history uh, played out, that they couldn't, you know, when no faith is played in this, they can't even conceive that this, they don't have any, any belief in the supernatural. They don't have any belief in the inspiration of scripture. So what do they say? It must have been written in the year 130 BC after everything played out. And then retrospectively, they, they, uh, they wrote down as if Daniel had written these out before their time. But you can look, uh, you, you can see very clearly that Daniel did not write this and, and there's other, I'm not going to get into facts about the book of Daniel, but there's, there's several things, factors that show you that the book of Daniel was indeed written it, it, while he was in Babylonian captivity and it's been preserved since. So we can see the fulfillment of prophecy is a, is a, a, a trusted source to show us the authenticity of the scriptures. And then you go into science. Science is always catching up to the Bible the stars of heaven, they used to think you can number it, that there was like 1,585 stars or something like that. And they tried to count each, and then some guy thought there, there was uh, 1,100 stars, and then another guy counted differently. He said there's actually 1,300 uh, stars in the sky. But the Bible says very clearly there's an innumerable host. There is uh, uh, stars that cannot be numbered. God from the beginning has been telling us, try and count it. You cannot. He told Abraham, go out and count the stars and see if you are able. You're unable. The Bible, the Bible informed us of that. The circle of the earth. They used to think the earth was flat and you'd fall off it. If you went far enough, they told Galilee, don't go too far. You're going to fall off the face of the earth. Isaiah 40 verse 22 says that the earth is a sphere. He sits above the circle of the earth. And all creation is like grasshoppers under his feet. The circle, that word circle in the Hebrew is actually sphere. It has a spherical shape. The world is round. This was written 800 years, 780 years before Christ. If science would just study the Bible and shape their view around the Bible, they would find themselves to be a lot more right. Because science, contrary to popular, a lot of people's point of view, does... The Bible does not contradict science. The, con the Bible has been helping scientific development and research for years. You look at the law of gravity. There's some religions that think that the earth is on a turtoise, a turtoise which is on a, 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 a lion, which is on a, a dragon, which is on a snake that is in a vast ocean. And that's what's holding up the earth. The Bible says in Job chapter 26, verse 7, that he hangs the earth on nothing. He suspends the earth on nothing, showing you, showing you that the earth is set in place. Sorry, that's not the law of gravity. That's that's the um, that's that's the, the 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 fact that when God created the earth, he set it, he hung it in the heavens, and then he stretched out the heavens above it. And the Bible says the heavens have been stretched, stretched, showing you that the universe, they used to think the universe had an end. The universe doesn't even have an end. It's, an, it's, it's unstretchable. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's inconceivable how far it goes. 
We measure in light years. A light year is going 185,000 miles per, per second for a whole year. That's just one light year. And our universe is light year upon light year upon light year. The Bible says God has stretched the expanse of the universe beyond what is human, humanly understandable. So I, I hope that this increased your confidence in what you already believe. Like this, I'm not doing this so that you can believe, you know, uh, so that you can get saved. Because there's a lot of people who, um, who study the word. There's a lot of people who know the word. There's a lot of people who are even called theologians that are not saved. So this podcast wasn't, you know, this is not how we get people saved. The Bible says, Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood cannot reveal this unto you. But my father who is in heaven, he's opened your eyes. So this, you know, this is not meant to like get you saved or anything. But this should solidify your confidence in the word of truth that you've already come to believe for you and your household. This is why you can believe that when Jesus came and bore your sickness and carried your pains, and he said, whoever believes on me, Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You can bank your buck on it. God's rest is readily available and is real for those who will receive it. This is why you can believe that if God said in Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord, your healer. You can believe that he's the Lord who changes not. He's still the Lord, your healer today because the flowers fade, the grass withers. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's why you can receive that with unshakable confidence, knowing that if you're sick in your body today, you can trust the Bible when it said, I am the Lord, your healer. You can trust the Bible when it says that he bore and carried your sickness on that tree. If you're struggling financially today, you can trust the Bible when God said, I am, a God, I am the God who gives you power to create wealth, that I might establish my covenant with you. That David said, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. That Paul said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. This is why you can trust the scriptures. I hope this helped you today. And uh, if you could, share... Share this on your social media platform, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. Tag me in it. I'd love to know where you're watching from. And um, thanks for tuning in. Next Monday, we'll have another podcast out for you. Until then, I pray you have the best week you ever had. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Remember, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have a live broadcast on Facebook like and follow our page and on youtube subscribe to our youtube page tuesdays and thursdays 1 p.m eastern time 10 a.m pacific also if you'd like to give you can do so by going to salvationnow.ca give we also have our newsletter on our website www.salvationnow.ca sign up to it and we'll have all our uh, upcoming events and news have a great week love you all god bless you